There's something so funny about the words mommy woman being together. There's a very logical explanation for all this. Welcome to the Who's Your Mommy podcast. My name's Grace. And I'm Abby. My pronouns are she, her. My pronouns are she, they. And we're both bisexuals. With Virgo Venuses. And ADHD. And on this podcast, we talk about queer theory, bisexuality, feminism, and 2000s movies. And a little bit about being in our 20s. A whole host of other things. It's going to be fun. But before we get into it, let's just warn you that we do cuss a little and talk about PG-13 related shit on here. So just a heads up before we get into our related crap, we are going to warn you. We may not tell you every time we're about to say the word fuck, but we will tell you every time we're about to get into some deep shit. So without any further ado, let's get into the shit, huh? (laughs) Bye. Bye. Holy shit. All right. All right. And I've been watching Bob's Burgers. Um, so now everything has become a Bob's Burgers allegory in my life. Like just every part of it. And I'm not an adult cartoons person. I'm a kids cartoons adult. So You're a kids it's, cartoons adult. I'm a kids adult. cartoons. Yeah. I'm not an adult cartoons adult. Have you guys watched Adventure Time together? No. Adventure Time kind of makes me emo. Yeah. Me too. But I watched it for the first time with Chase very recently. Mm-hmm. We just finished it, and I'm watching it again for a second time because it's so good. It is good. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Abby, how are you? I'm so good. How's your happy October? Yay, happy October. We, it's October 1st today. Yeah, we're recording this on October 1st. We don't. I don't think this will get to you all until like October 9th or 10th. 11th? I want to say 10th? Yeah, it's Monday. So whatever yeah. Monday is, it's not the first Monday of October, though. It's the 10th, because the 3rd is the first Monday. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 In my mind, it's Sunday. It's, uh, yeah, so it's Mommy, it's Saturday. We record on Saturdays. It's our little tradition. Yes. Um, and by tradition, I mean... <laughs> It's a tradition as long as we do it. And the reason we started doing it this way is because Chase and I have, like, very conflicting conflicting, conflicting schedules. Um, And so Sundays are the day that we actually get to hang out with each other. Right. And we have to do this on a weekend. And he works on Saturdays. So we have been doing this while he works. We've tried it on weeknights, but we are simply both too much of career career gorlies career gorlies career gorlies because like i work you work we mm-hmm. both have nine to fives and then <laughs> i'm in school so yeah. i'd be doing homework i have rehearsal i have the fucking books yeah i'm thinking about making a career out of writing smut under an ebook name um i was thinking about that recently it, like i don't know the royalties are far higher than i expected them to be hmm. like if you can kind of just do it and i happen to be able to just do it yeah so you know I can never, I can never reveal what my name is, <laughs> um, because I also want to be an author of books that aren't ebook smut. It's like, <laughs> what's your stripper name? But instead, it's what your, what's your smut author name? No, and I don't really, I don't know if I want to write like X-rated content. I kind of just want to write like crappy romance. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, as an artist, and I don't know if you feel this way, Abby. I tend to feel very relaxed by situations wherein I do not have to be 
um, critical, critical of myself. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So like I'm working on a stupid ass little contemporary romance novella and it's great. And it's mm-hmm. so much nice. Like it's a really nice pivot project from my 70,000 word fantasy YA novel that I want to sell to yes. an agent, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of nice to be like, cool. I, I made that. That's nice. And it's like a little gremlin over in the corner and I'm like, good job <laughs> making me. 15 cents a day. It's pretty sick of you to do that. I have been like really, really, really wanting to get back into creative writing recently Mm -hmm. because I was a creative writer in high school, like very much so I was always writing. And then in college, I just simply stopped and I was like, hmm, I don't really, I can't do this anymore. And now I'm in the place where I'm like, I want to creative write again. I want to do something. I want to create. But I still have like mm, a year and a half left in my degree. And it's like the most difficult year and a half of my degree. Mm. So I just need to like put that shit on the back burner until I'm done with this goddamn degree. Yeah. I had a teacher, shout out Susan Blackwell. You are my queen. Um, Susan was in a title of show. When it was a New York musical, I don't think it was Broadway, but Susan's like kind of a a Broadway heavy hitter, but her thing is she makes these books called Spark Files, which it's like, and she has a podcast called the Spark File Podcast. Um, Go listen. It's so good. Uh, But she has these notebooks and basically anytime she has an idea, she just puts it in the Spark File. She's like, well, a a TV show about a a talking gerbil. Like she's like... (laughs) gerbil you know like she's she's just kind of always validating the creative part of her brain even Mm -hmm. though this is a woman who like you know has rehearsal schedules and television tv shooting schedules and teaching schedules um but she's always validating the ideas when they come and that has been a huge thing for me as a writer especially in times where I've been like just so busy that I can't write Mm -hmm. I'm just like oh that's a good idea it's like almost the same energy as when we text each other we're like Hannah Montana mommy pod episode and then we like move on to the rest of (laughs) our conversation yes yes. so anyway how are you (laughs) um yeah Yeah. shout out Susan Blackwell I really need to just start writing things down yeah I'm so bad about that it's hard I can never find a pen because I have ADHD. I that's I do not have that problem. I always have a pen on me. Oh, I I have pens coming out my ears, but I can never find them when I need them. <laughs> um. So Abby, what what has have you had? Have you been having a gay old time? How's your week? What did you do that was gay? We haven't been asking that lately. Have you done Ugh. anything explicitly queer in the last week? Worth um, noting. No. No. <laughs> I'm trying to think of if I even have. I called a square dance last night, which that, I feel like that made, is sick as hell. It's sick as hell, but it's also like I'm afraid I have to turn in my bisexual card for a week. Why? <laughs> I don't. Know. <laughs> uh, I don't. It's yeah. One thing about me is that I know a lot about uh, social dance and square dance and call square dances. Um, not frequently, but I did last night. My one one of my grandmother. One of my grandmothers is very into square dancing. The other one of my grandmothers is very into line dancing. Ooh, and both I've of them never line danced. Both of them do it on a regular basis, and one of them teaches. Gotcha. So 
but it's never something that I've been into. But I have distinct memories from when I was a little kid and my parents would go on date nights mm-hmm. and my grandma would be having a square dance night and she would just take us with her. So my parents are musicians and one of my dad's bands when I was younger, he doesn't play much with this band anymore because um, everyone got old, but was a fiddle, like a fiddle band and a square dance band. And they would do a monthly square dance. The first Friday of every month, they'd do a square dance and people, uh, one of the women, Dorothy, was a square dance caller, and she was like, I'm tired of calling every dance every time, so mm-hmm. I'm going to teach people how to do this. So I think I was like eight or nine, and I was like, Mom, I want to learn how to square dance call. And so I started calling, and I was like the kid who called square dances at these big events, and I would do, like every month. It was like our thing. And then I think I got into high school, and I was like... I don't want this to be my thing. I've decided I'd like something else to be my thing. Yeah, that's fair. And so I, when I called last night, I hadn't called since, like, I was 15. And I was like, how was I better at this at 15? Like, how did I do this? Because those dances are not short. No. And it's a lot of, of information that just lives up there in my brain. Yeah. And you get up there and you're like... Round your partner with a right elbow swing and switch it back with the left elbow. And you're like, you're, you're going along with the music and I get the little drawl and I'm like, who is this woman? Like, <laughs> you are from the Northwest, kiddo. <laughs> That's okay. I always say that Idaho is the south of the Northwest. It is. Um, and I think that that's the most accurate way to put Idaho. I have a really good friend from uh, my school in Connecticut who is from Kentucky. He's from Paducah, Kentucky. Shout out Eric Hilco. King, my king, love you, man. Um, but he's from Kentucky, and he and I had so much in fucking common. It was insane. <laughs> it was insane how much we could just like, oh yeah, that happened in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. and like I don't know, it is. It's like I grew up in the South, but I'm also like an hour from Oregon. Yeah, my my best friend Corbin is also from Kentucky, and I didn't know that. yeah, she grew up in Louisville. Mm. Is how she says it. I'm saying it incorrect, but that's kind of how she says it. Louisville. 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 Um, and she and I also have very similar growing up experiences. Although she was raised Mormon Mm -hmm. and I was raised evangelical Christian. So we have like very similar, like parallel experiences. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Um, my favorite experience was in my vocal class, uh, at my school. I went to a conservatory, so we had things like vocal class Mm -hmm. and my teacher, Bless her heart. She was not a bad person. She drove me fucking nuts, though. (laughs) And she goes, Gracie, I just, I love how you are able to cover your southern accent when you sing. And I was like, (laughs) I don't have one. (laughs) I was like, oh, man, I'm not from the south. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm not from the south. And she's like, you're from Idaho. And I was like, oh, my God, nobody knows where I'm from. Like, (laughs) nobody, I I say that and people are like, "Mm mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I feel like someone's like, oh, I'm from Massachusetts. I'm like, right, I know where Massachusetts is. Someone says I'm from Michigan. I know where the fuck that is. Mm-hmm. Someone says I'm from Alabama. I'm like, sick, sick, sick. You're from the deep south. But, like, I don't I don't know why, like, these Northeasterners are like, where? <laughs> like, even, like, obscure states. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know where Nebraska is. I have been told by a lot of people who are from out of state. I think Pua's even said this to me, mm-hmm. that Idahoans have like a similar accent a little bit to people who are from the South. Obviously not as drawl-y, right. but we kind of like say words in similar ways. Yeah. Idahoans, and I learned this in a voice class, tend to drop consonants. Mm, so I like the word mountain, mm-hmm. we some mountains, mm-hmm. I'm going to the mountain. Yeah. Like that's 
sure as hell a little more Southern than not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, oh my gosh, we're so... Actually, this is an incredible... Oh, say it. The one that Pua always makes fun of me for is that I say BSU. BSU? Yeah. BSU. I went to BSU. Yeah. Instead of BSU. Yeah. BSU. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I said that. Yeah. Anyway, this is an incredible segue into the movie that we're talking about um, because this movie is semi-based on the film My Fair Lady, which is really largely, I mean, the the plot of My Fair Lady is a man teaching a woman an upper class dialect. Yeah. Um, And so... um, It goes even deeper than that. It goes so deep. I've never seen My Fair Lady, but I, girl, did I study for this episode. (laughs) I actually have seen My Fair Lady. I saw it at Idaho Shakespeare Fest. I think they did it... When I was in high school, I want to say. Nice. Because my mom, when we were in high school, really, really liked going to Idaho Shakespeare Mm -hmm. stuff because I was in theater. She didn't really understand theater, but she liked Idaho Shakespeare Fest. So she would take us because she was like, this is the thing that I like that you like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about your experience with Pretty Woman. I know this is an important film to you, kind of just like life, life history. Yeah. So... Pretty Woman, I watched for the first time about two years ago when I was dog-sitting, when I was in my dog-sitting era, um, aka the three months over summer of... Last year, yeah, 2021. 2021, maybe? Yeah, Yeah, summer of 2021. We were were friends Yeah. Um, where I did not have a job. I was unemployed on mm-hmm. purpose because I was like, I, this, I have worked every single day since I was 16 years old. Obviously not every single day, but like right. I've had a job since I was 16 years old. I'm about to turn, I was about to turn 21 and I was like, I'm about to hit the point of no return where I will never not have a job. Right. So I'm going to take three months of my life, quit my job, live off of the savings that I have accrued and dog sitting money and just do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And it was a very good three months. If you are in a financial place where you can do something like that, I would highly suggest taking like one, two, three months just to not have a job. Yeah. That is currently something I'm working towards because like we've talked about on this podcast, I started a job literally before I even walked across the stage at graduation Mm -hmm. and I've burnt myself out. Yeah. It's hard. Like when you're a person who's had to have a job, especially when you're also in school and like there just wasn't an option to not have a job, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to like just lose the fire, lose the like you don't hang out with friends. You just wake up, go to work, go home. Yeah. And I had just been working a coffee shop job. Fun fact about me, I was a barista for four years. I don't know as much about coffee as Brandon does, which is weird because I was a barista for four years, but he he's just... He's, <laughs> he's passionate. He's just very passionate about it. Whereas I was just making it for people right. who yelled at me right. all the time. Um, and I was dog sitting, which by the way, if you need an easy like little bit of income dog sitting so easy to get into literally dog sitting right now all you have to do is tell one person that you dog sit 
and say, hey, if you have friends who need dog sitters, let me know. And all of a sudden you will have like five or six clients. Yep. And it's just, it's so, it's so easy. It's so easy. So you just go hang out with somebody's dog. And then you like take them on walks and let them out and stuff. I've had a couple dog sitting gigs from hell. I had Mm -hmm. one this last winter that might have nearly taken me down. That was rough. So I would say don't dog sit dogs you haven't met before unless Mm -hmm. you are like, I have no other shit to do. I could, I can afford to literally spend all day with this dog. The dog I, I dog sat for really just was a, it was a fucking husky in a 400 square foot apartment with yeah. no backyard. Like poor dude was just miserable. Mm-hmm. And like, I had a job <laughs> had to leave. Um, but it's great. So you were in your dog sitting era. I was in my dog sitting era and I was at these people's house hanging out with their dogs. The dogs were asleep. I was just hanging out with them and I was like, hmm. I've never seen this movie before. My mom says she likes it. I'll just, I'll just take a look. And I watched it for the first time and I fell in love with it. Mm. And I think there's something about worlds that are created by pieces of media that I just so easily fall in love with the worlds that are built. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about Gilmore Girls. That's how I feel about um, New Girl, honestly. I think the world that New Girl builds is so, like, fantastical and big and, like, happy and bright. Um, And Gilmore Girls is just, like, a a cozy like comforting world mm-hmm. and it's pretty always woman, fall in Gilmore Girls it's That's all always fall unless it's winter <laughs> but if it's not winter it's fall mm-hmm. um and pretty woman just builds this world that is like it's a for me it's a blast of the past even though it was filmed to be taking place in the same year that it was filmed basically mm-hmm. it's it's not a historical fiction or anything like that it's just it's just a movie right about life Um, but I was not alive at the time. So Pretty Woman to me builds this world, this a few years ago world of downtown LA and these people who are so separated from it and these people who are so in it. Right. And the barriers that are crossed for them to interact with each other are so interesting to me. And I just think that it, is one of those rom-coms that is just timeless because obviously it's built off of a very old trope. Right. Um, which doesn't even start at my, my, my friend. No, no, it doesn't even start at my friend lady. Literal ancient Greece. It goes back to ancient Greece, but I think the most like the one that people think of is Pygmalion. Yeah. Um, so you can think about Pygmalion when you think about this movie. That's yeah. the trope that it builds on. Mm-hmm. Um, or Cinderella. Cinderella is another example, and they yeah. even reference it in the movie. The, the concept is like a, a hooker with a heart of gold. Or yes. like the, you know, the, the downtrodden, the fallen woman mm-hmm. fallen with the heart of gold. <laughs> yes. is me. And Tee-hee. it just builds this, like, happy, in, like, positive world where anything can happen even though it is modern day and it it closes on this line of like everybody has a dream what's your dream like that's one of the the themes that runs through the whole movie is everybody has a dream what's your dream and Mm -hmm. I just think that that's so beautiful I I love it I will say when I watch this movie I watched it once for this uh this episode Mm -hmm. I was like yeah this is fine 
this is fine. This is a fine movie. It wasn't something that like I fell in love with, mm-hmm. but I do. I when I was watching, it, I was like, yeah, this is a movie that people could fall in love with. Mm-hmm. And I think like literally, it just comes down to what movies did I fall in love with that way, and what movies didn't I? Like Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> in love with it, and I understand that those are also fine movies. They're yeah. Fine. Um, and so watching this, it was honestly like a really lovely little insight into like one of my best friends. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is the world that Abby is like, wants to be mm-hmm. running around in yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So since I watched it for the first time, I think I've probably watched it 10 to 15 times in like the last that. year and a half. <laughs> and that's so funny because literally yesterday I was thinking to myself, I was like, ha, ah, when's it appropriate to rewatch, um, when's it appropriate to rewatch Pirates of the Caribbean again? Like, like at what, what point do I get to be like, Brandon, let's watch that again and have him not be like, no, we just watched that. So I'll let you know when that comes. That unfortunately for me is hard because Chase doesn't like rewatching movies. So I will be like, let's watch Pretty Woman again. And he'll be like, we have watched it three times. He's like, that's my limit. That's my upper limit. Yeah. The one movie that he rewatches though is Godzilla vs. King Kong. Damn, that's a good movie. I've seen that movie with him twice, three times maybe. Brandon and I are big shows people. Mm-hmm. We we kind of we get we get hooked on our show and we watch our show and then our show changes. We watched we rarely watch full movies mm-hmm. um, unless we're watching it for this podcast or. The other day we watched Terminal with Tom Hanks. Mm. Um, very good movie. Yeah. Loved it. But yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the the inner workings of the actual screenwriting and the creation of this film because it was so fascinating to me. This movie was actually supposed to be really quite a lot darker yeah. than it wound up being. Um, Which I didn't know until I started doing research yeah, for so this. Yeah, so the screenwriter's goal was to write like a dark drama mm-hmm. uh, with an unhappy ending and it wasn't supposed to end happily and it was this was kind of his goal. And I have a mm-hmm. quote from him and I'm trying to read it while talking to the microphone. Um <laughs> But basically, he said, I was a screenwriter who was just trying to get a job. I was unemployed, and I was working in post-production, and I was trying to sell scripts. And I'd been writing all these ninja scripts and comedies, and I couldn't get any attention. I suddenly said, well, maybe I need to do something more serious and dramatic. I'd written a script called Red Sneakers, which is about a one-legged lesbian stand-up comic who was an alcoholic, and all of a sudden, it got a lot of attention. People were really interested. People were talking to me. (laughs) Which is a fucking hilarious quote. I want to know about this fucking one-legged stand-up comedian lesbian. That was Um, such a wild thing to just come out of your mouth. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, those are the those are the words. Um, but I I think that's super interesting because so much of this film, like it does, it doesn't have the aesthetic necessarily, and this is not a bad thing, this is not a critique Mm -hmm. of like a treasure planet where you're like, wow, somebody thought about this for 15 years and Mm -hmm. this is a passion project of a dude and his best friend. It very much has the like I wrote this because I knew it would sell. Mm-hmm. And as someone who literally was just talking about writing ebook smut to pay my bills, like, <laughs> I, girl, I get it. Um, but Pretty Woman, then it was bought to be a director for Gary Marshall, mm-hmm. who Disney just has this love affair with Gary Marshall. He'd mm-hmm. just come off of movies like Beaches and The Princess Diaries and Valentine's Day. Um, he would go on to New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day or later in his mm-hmm. career. And they just wanted to keep him. Like, mm-hmm. they were just like, we need... To keep Gary Marshall with us because mm-hmm. don't God we love him. He was coming off of the success of Beaches when yeah. they made Pretty well, Woman. And Princess Diaries is post Pretty Woman. Yes. Yeah. 
yeah. Um, fun fact is that Gary Marshall also booked or uh, voiced Buck Cluck in Chicken Little. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you you also might remember from the Princess Diaries episode, um, the Who's Your Mommy extended universe, this movie, Pretty Woman and Princess Diaries have a lot of overlap in terms of cast and tropes yeah. that they use and even lines that are used. Yeah, like... Um, Vivian and and Princess Mia are very similar. Similarly tropes. written. They just don't straighten her hair. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess she goes from wearing a wig to making her hair curly. Yeah. Gary Marshall and those hair those hair changes. He just loves hair transformations. I get it. And then so that's kind of the that's kind of the background on on that. And I was so I'm just so interested in like the inner workings of how movies get made mm-hmm. because it feels like the movies that we have now and we're so sentimental about. It's just it's all business. Yeah. It's so not personal. They're just like keep Gary. <laughs> Gary what script will we you love write? Gary. But that was Gary's Gary's little thumbtack in it was he's like, "Yeah, but we need to change the ending." Mm-hmm. Like I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing this. This is too sad of an ending. It's not um it, it ended with uh Vivian booking getting on a bus to Disneyland alone and, and uh oh my and, god. And um what's her name? Cat. Cat? Is it Cat? I, I want to say Cat. Something weirder. I definitely wrote it down. It's Kit. Oh, it's Kit. Like Kit Kitridge. Yeah, she finds um she finds Kit overdosed. Yeah. So then so then I was super curious because I was like, all right, well this movie clearly they they were like, we'll end this however sells. Mm-hmm. Um and I do I like the ending and I love Vivian. I mm-hmm. mean, what? Like some not all the time do you get a protagonist, especially in a Pygmalion type story who you're mm-hmm. like, damn, what a sweetie. Like yeah. what just like a damn, I would totally grab a beer with you. Yeah. Like and the dude, he's fine. He's fine. I do be in love with Richard Gere, though. No! <laughs> oh, Abby. Um, he's so hot. I do not feel that way. <laughs> I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> it's okay. Vivian's hot. Kit is hot. Richard Gere is Richard Gere. I just... I, I don't... I can't explain why I find him attractive. I just do. Uh... And if you look at pictures of him when he's younger, also, he's very I think cute. I did. I think I was like, that's him. And then I Googled him. I was like, okay, he is hot. <laughs> I get it that he's supposed to be older. Yeah. I get it. He's just not the Dilf I wanted. Um, anyway. He's not the Dilf we wanted, but he is the Dilf we needed. The Dilf we got. <laughs> and I guess the one that we needed. <laughs> um, also, fun fact is that there's not a single blonde woman in this movie who's nice. Uh, and it's the same with it's the same with Princess Diaries. So That's I so do funny. feel a little targeted by these films. Um, I get it. I'm nice though. Yeah, but every blonde woman, Gary Marshall's just like blondes suck. I wonder if he has like a blonde ex wife. Hmm. I'd be so curious. You're also not a full like real blonde no, though. I'm so I'm far darker haired than I present as. <laughs> I'm I'm in cognito mode. Blonde presenting. I'm blonde presenting. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um, but then, so then I actually, I dove further into like, well, how is this movie critically received? Because I know it's a cult classic, but mm-hmm. I'm always surprised when movies that are cult classics, like, how are they received? Like, mm-hmm. uh, Hocus Pocus is one. I'm like, I have no clue if that would have 
I know people love it now. Mm -hmm. I know I love it, but I don't know if like it was critically received well. Mm -hmm. And it was such a mixed bag. Oh yeah. Which, which furthermore, as I've, as I dove into critical analysis of this film, Mm -hmm. it literally people, there's, there's articles that are like pretty woman is the most important movie in feminist media. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is feminist and people are like pretty woman has aged poorly and is like not so great. Yeah. And I tend to fall into the second camp, even though I do think it's a like good movie. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know why we keep telling this Pygmalion story, Mm -hmm. um, as our, as like, (laughs) why, like, why is our cultural zeitgeist so obsessed with this? But Mm -hmm. I did want to read some of the reviews of this. Um, so this, uh, and while you're pulling that up for the record, I fall into kind of the first camp of like, this movie is feminist but not necessarily explicitly. It's more in the themes and the way that they present ideas and the way that they present, like, bodily autonomy is the way that I see it as feminist. Yeah, so they did. They, so so one of... There was a pretty interesting um, gnarly reviews. One of them is... Pretty Woman comes close to finding the least admirable characters to build a feel-good movie around. <laughs> Richard Gere is Edward, a corporate raider who gobbles up companies and spits them out in di- uh, digestible chunks. Julia Roberts is Vivian, a Los Angeles hooker whom Edwards hires as some sex or as some as his some sex no love escort for the week. <laughs> Which this is a review from when the movie came out, and I'm like, ow, ouchie, damn, sir. Another one is J.F. Lawton's script sweats bullets to prove that these two are lovable folks with so much to teach each each other in matters of class and conscience, but Edward has them pegged. We both screw people for money. So does this movie. (laughs) Fucking, that was Richard Corliss for Time Magazine in 1990. Also, how much was a movie ticket in what, like 1990? I don't know. Not that much money. It's like, you fucked me over. And this is a critic. He didn't have to pay. He's still no. like, fuck this shit. I love it. <laughs> but that was 1990. And still, Julia Roberts was nominated for an Oscar for her performance. Mm-hmm. Um, she won an award for it, did she not? I she thought she won, won an a- Oscar for a different film, I think. I, I, okay, I have it written down. She won a Golden Globe for it. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, um... There's also this amazing article that I want to quote a little bit that's called 30 Years Later, Pretty Woman is So Much More Than a Guilty Pleasure. And mm-hmm. there are just some quotes from it. It's by um, it's by Ann Cohen for Tw- Refinery29. And it's just like, I recommend it to the ends of the earth. It's such an interesting breakdown mm-hmm. of this movie. Before we get into my own thoughts on it, I just was like, uh, I just had to quote this smart ass lady who wrote this, but... Quote, the story of an everyman or woman who started out dirt poor and is swept up by a fairy godmother type figure into a life of riches and luxury is as old as civilization itself. Think Cinderella, Harry Potter, the ugly duckling, Catherine the Great, Andrew Carnegie. We want to believe that it is possible to one day wake up and have your life go from rags to riches. And then new quote. The idea of a poor person with a heart so good they deserve riches more than the wealthy is very attractive, especially during times of economic downturn and disparity, which makes me fascinated by the fact that you (laughs) you did it when you were (laughs) dog sitting (laughs) full time. (laughs) When I was in my dog sitting era. And then this quote is great. It's, 
quote, the trope of a fallen woman who is rescued by her prince smacks of an, or smacks of an archaic version of male-female relationship, which partially explains the decline of the genre in recent years, until very recently when new voices and perspectives have given the rom-com a makeover of its own. Mm-hmm. So basically, I do think she makes, uh, is this article is very much love for this movie, but it does make the point that it's like, I don't know how these gender relationships really operate in our modern society, though mm-hmm. they were quite effective in 1990. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't know. I don't know if a pretty woman remount, like, would even work. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I don't think so either. And a lot of the research I did as well was basically saying, like, pretty woman is a one-off thing. The only reason, like, it was successful is because of the time and the circumstances in which it was created and, like, the people who created it. And trying to do it again would essentially be a flop. Um, And I also read another article that said that uh, the the people who were involved in the movie and who created the movie and the cast essentially see The Runaway Bride, which came out in 1999 and is another movie featuring Richard Gere and Julia Roberts playing romantic interests, and by the way, is fucking awful, don't watch it. Um, They consider that movie to be the sequel. Um, And the reason I say it's fucking awful, don't watch it, is because it doesn't make any sense, and it's bad, and it tries to take the same tropes and do the same thing, but once again, Pretty Woman is a one-off thing that only worked because of circumstances, and The Runaway Bride just does not work. Well, and I would even push so far to say that I don't think this movie would have worked without Julia Roberts. Oh, absolutely not. I just don't think it could have, Mm -hmm. and I I think that's, like, not actually a big statement, because I think just her performance, her lovability, her... Like, she's just a very graceful person, Mm -hmm. and I think that she made a lot of these crazy big ideas and like just really dark plot points very palatable yeah and i think that that helped because they didn't fully erase the dark fucking reality of this show Mm -hmm. julia roberts just kind of gracefully ice skates right over it and it it like it's good like i would say her performance just kind of makes this movie for me Mm -hmm. and um like, I can't, I don't even know. <laughs> and and on a physical level, too, I think in the Princess Diaries episode, we talked about how Anne Hathaway is one of those actors that you can tell that she has control over every single muscle in her body. Yeah. And I think that Julia Roberts is very much also one of those actors that you just look yeah. at her and you can tell that she has total control over all of her body, facial movements, everything. And her breathing. And like, her breathing. Right down to every, every vocal inflection. I think that's mm-hmm. why so many of the, like, vo- single lines of this movie have stayed so iconic is because julia is just like gracefully moving right through what it could be considered kind of a clunky script Mm -hmm. um and i'm not saying it's bad (laughs) i'm just saying it's like i don't know a dialogue for female prostitutes written by some screenwriter guy Mm -hmm. it's not always yeah it's not always fun fun dialogue to work through Mm -hmm. um yeah, I, uh, okay, I do have to read one another quote by Anna Cohen, who just literally, um, she just, this article is so good, but she says, from the very first shot of her as Vivian Ward, filling in her worn stilettos with a black sharpie before pulling on her vinyl thigh highs and shimmying down the fire escape, she's magnetic. It's partly due, her, due to her smile, that big wife, big mouthed, I'm so dyslexic, I'm sorry, <laughs> big mouthed, big toothed, all American grin that brightens up every scene. When she laughs with that loud cackle of someone who's in on every joke, you want to laugh with her. You want to be friends with Vivian, man, woman, Gare straight. We're all a little seduced. It's impossible not to root for her. That's so hard to do. Yeah. To just like not be hated. Like she didn't just play the like likable girl. Mm-hmm. She like really 
played like a it was just a great performance. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia Roberts is m- the mommy. Ju- like we can say it right now. We're not even going to ask the question at the end. Julia Roberts is the mommy of this movie. There is no question. There is no other option. Yeah, it is Julia another, Roberts. It's Julia Roberts. Like Vivian's great, but Julia. It's Julia Roberts. <laughs> Julia Roberts kicked ass. Um, Cohen also makes the point that Vivian has a heart of gold. But she's not, like, a virginal Madonna. She, like, has sex and is a sex worker. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because um, Vivian knows that sex is something she can sell and not be ashamed of. And, like, as a woman living in 2022, literally 32 years later, I still think it's very hard for female protagonists to be like, yes, I fuck. Like, (laughs) uh, yes, this is a thing. Like, And for a a female protagonist to be and a femme presenting to protagonist to be, like, lovable and a sweetheart and, like, graceful and pretty and also be like, yes, I know how sex works. I do it for money. Mm-hmm. And I also, this is just something that came to mind now, is, like, I think that there's this new trope that's kind of arisen in media currently where if you want to have a female character who fucks, they also have to be bisexual or in some way morally ambiguous um i think you kind of see that in uh, i want to say like brooklyn 99 yeah um, and like euphoria and euphoria and just current shows a lot of the characters who fuck are in some way like morally ambiguous to people who are not necessarily like familiar with that kind of lifestyle they want to make like characters who fuck seem to be outside of the norm right right i think there's also so much to unpack with like um if we're gonna have queer women they always wind up being bisexual and then we just don't really get bisexual men in Mm -hmm. media that often yeah and (laughs) one thing about me i'm a really big dancing with the stars fan and Mm -hmm. i've been thinking a lot about how last season jojo siwa was with jenna johnson and danced amazing they were both fantastic but it was very much marketed and produced as like we're best friends. We are, we're besties. She's like a big sister to me. And they would do these dances with like this fucking amazing, like sexual tension. And it was beautiful and very gay. Um, but I think for some reason, our media kind of views, uh, girl on girl sexuality is like we're toning it down Mm -hmm. it's safe they're just really good friends but then this season of dancing with the stars shangela is on and shangela is a drag performer so when she's performing she's using she her pronouns but dj who is shangela um uses he him pronouns and is not presenting as shangela during rehearsals Mm -hmm. and it makes me wonder like what like I think the producers are very scared to put a man-man couple on Dancing with the Stars because they it's just naturally more sexualized and more like, this is morally wrong. Mm-hmm. And so they're like testing the waters by having a drag performer. And Shangela is doing fucking amazing. But it is like, I think you can feel kind of the push from especially all the queer performers on Dancing with the Stars of like, why can't we just let it be like gay and sexy? Yeah. I don't know. Let That's women a, fuck. Let women fuck. And let gay men fuck. <laughs> let everyone fuck. And they don't have to be morally horrible to, like, bone. No. Like, yeah. good people also fuck. Yeah. This may shock you. We're all fucking. Everyone. <laughs> AOC. She fucks. Um, I'm trying to think of good people from history. Everybody. Think of think of a good person. Unless they are ace, they be um, fucking or a nun. 
they be fucking. And nuns sometimes, also sometimes be fucking. Sometimes the nuns be fucking too. Yeah. Yo, yo. <laughs> I actually, okay, this is completely off topic and you might have to cut this out. <laughs> but I watched a YouTube video recently about, um, like, lesbian nuns through history. <laughs> and there was one nun in history, I can't remember her name, who, uh, she basically pretended to be channeling Jesus um, and she did it so well that they gave her like the head nun position at yeah, the yeah. abbey. Yeah, yeah, queen shit. And she, they found out after an investigation, after so many complaints came through, like to the like head of the church at the mm-hmm. time, they started investigating the abbey that she was in, in charge of, and they found that she had been using because nuns are technically married to Jesus. Right. She had been using that status as somebody who channeled Jesus to fuck the other nuns. Yes. Well, that's not good. It's not good. Manipulative. That's bad. But it is impressive. It's kind of iconic. It's impressive work from a lesbian nun. If you want more information about lesbian nuns there, I will link the video that I saw that from in our little like link tree thing. show notes this week (laughs) are like lesbian nuns. Lesbian nuns. Yeah. So I do want to dive quickly into the history of a Pygmalion story because it was not something I was familiar with. When I was watching the movie, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know this trope. This is the My Fair Lady trope, mm-hmm. but it actually goes even further back. So the the ancient Greek legend of the sculptor Pygmalion um, was that he could find nothing he liked about women. He's like, women suck. I've never found one I liked. None of them are um, like, none of them are working for me. Like, I just, I'm not into girls. And in, to which I would say, sir, I tried men. <laughs> but instead he said, I will be sculpting a woman. And then, of course, the gods were like, let's cause some trouble. And they brought her to life. Um, And he fell in love with his own creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of the root of the story. And then George Bernard Shaw um, put on this play, um, Pygmalion, and he wrote, that was in 1912. Mm -hmm. And that would go on to become My Fair Lady, which kind of basically is this idea of a man finds a woman with a heart of gold. She is imperfect. And he shapes her to be perfect um to be his ideal woman and then he falls in love with her despite her pre-existing flaws because either they've now melted away because he has shaped her into his perfect woman or he has learned to love her even though she is imperfect and different versions of the story handle that concept differently yeah but i hate that <laughs> i think that's stupid <laughs> because I just don't think that, like, I think that if you, if a man, if a man were to groom me to be exactly what he was looking for, then he's actually not interested in me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not out here to be someone's, like, I design, I build a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm actually just a whole person. But I do understand why these plots are very romantic and can make great rom-coms. And mm-hmm. there's, like, the Duff and she's all that. And, like, there's a lot of modern media inspired by this story because makeover scenes are really fun. Yeah. I'll admit that. I like a good makeover scene. Makeover scenes are cool. Yeah. Um, I, I read Pygmalion as, uh, one of the, like, classics that I had to read for one of my classes in English, um, in high school. I think it was, like, an honors English class or something like that. We had to pick a classic to read, and I picked Pygmalion. And I don't remember why, but, um... Something that I do think people overlook when they think of the Pygmalion trope is that it actually never ends well for the man. 
Um, and not every single time does it not end well for the man, but a good majority of the time, it does not end well for him. It goes very poorly. It goes very poorly for him. And I have always kind of enjoyed the Pygmalion trope because to me, it's kind of a woman taking advantage of a man. Mm. She, she uses it in, in one version of Pygmalion, she uses, uh, him essentially to like rise up in the ranks of society. She, she learns things from him. She changes her voice. She becomes a respected member of society. And then he wants her to stay with him and be uh, essentially his like companion and live in his house and do chores for him. Mm-hmm. And she says, hey, fuck you. And she throws a shoe at him and she leaves. Nice. And go, she girl. uses her status in society to get a really good job and marry rich. Right. Well, and I, I think... It's like a Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. Except the monster is feminism. Precisely. 10 out of 10. So I completely understand people's gripes with Pygmalion and the the whole trope around it. Um, and I understand everything you're saying. To me, it's always been a little bit like cheeky, like teehee, like... Yes, it's supposed to be romantic, but at the end, the guy gets fucked over. And I right. really enjoy that part. Right, but that <laughs> really doesn't happen in Pretty Woman. No, it really doesn't. But you still love Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. What redeems it? To me, the thing that redeems Pretty Woman is the fact that Edward is never in charge. Mm-hmm. He is playing by Vivian's rules the entire movie. And you don't realize it until you watch the movie multiple times. So if you've watched Pretty Woman once, you might be sitting here listening to me thinking, that's not true. He's Mm -hmm. the one who pays her. Um, But she enchants him and he starts to fall in love with this idea of her and the person that she is. And he chooses to keep her around because she's enchanted him and Mm -hmm. he, he enjoys her company. But she has the option. She doesn't have to stay with him. But he's about to give her a bunch of money to just hang out with him. And she's like, all right, fuck yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) Give me $3,000. I'll hang out with you for a week. And for the rest of the movie, he's playing by her rules. He's giving her money to go buy clothes. She is running around town doing her thing. She is going to polo matches (laughs) and flirting with the guy who's his competition and making him jealous she is (laughs) going to the opera and making everyone around her fall in love with her like she is the star of this show and he is just the man who's there giving her money he's paying her to be there and there's even a part in the movie where she's like i'm gonna leave like you like i don't like the way you treated me in this situation and i'm gonna leave and he basically says all right well if that's your decision you can leave i'll still give you the money um but i really wish you would stay and he apologizes to her and because he apologizes to her she stays i do love a good man apologizing yes i really like that moment of this Mm -hmm. movie so to me, the the part of Pygmalion where the woman is in charge, that, that to me is encapsulated in Pretty Woman. And so that's the part of the trope that I really enjoy. Yeah. I really like that. That mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Yeah. Maybe I need to watch the movie eight more times. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's beautiful when there's still so much discourse of about a movie 32 years later oh yeah that is incredible to me Mm -hmm. don't i don't think that's what this writer set out to do but sometimes that's just what happens and gary marshall does seem to just make winners Mm -hmm. and i really love that yeah 
I am so curious how this movie would shift and be changed with more women and femme presenting people on the production team. Mm-hmm. I'm also curious who's your fan cast if there were to be a modern Pretty Woman adaptation. Ooh. <sighs> fan cast. Man, I don't know enough actors' names. And I also don't know enough actors' faces. I'm facially blind, guys. <laughs> no. <laughs> I um, hmm. don't think Anne Hathaway would be a bad pick. Uh, I also think Ariana DeBose, um, mm. who is uh, from Hamilton and from the new West Side Story and yeah. an Oscar winner. Ariana is equally as enchanting mm-hmm. as... This movie actually was on Broadway, or as a, it was turned into a Broadway musical, and yeah. I had a professor who was the intimacy choreographer for it, which was an interesting oh, cool. job, yeah, um, for specifically for this show. But Andy Carl and Samantha Barks were in it, <laughs> who are, for my theater kids, we love Andy Carl and Samantha Barks. <laughs> Andy Carl's such a mess. He broke his ankle famously the week before Groundhog Day opened, and opened the show with a broken ankle. Oh my god. Because he wanted to be in the program, accredited as the the opening night. Shout out to people who break their ankles before shows and then just go on. Be Theater kids really are on another level. Theater kids just be breaking ankles. Stop that. Did I tell you about the time that I sprained a ligament in my foot the day before I opened shows for a homegrown theater fest? No. And I just called two shows in one day with a sprained ligament. I'm glad then that you were calling the shows. Yeah. That's better. But I also had to help set up props and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the director for one of them was not my favorite person. <laughs> and uh, they were not exactly being helpful, considering I had a torn ligament in my foot. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. It happens. Yes. Shit do be happening. Shit do be happening. Retweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like uh, closing closing thoughts and points on this. I I would love to I would love to talk about some of your theses. So I have a quote that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, and I read an article called "Why Pretty Woman Should Be Considered a Feminist Classic" by Bridget McCone, mm-hmm. and I also think that that was an incredibly fascinating article. It was on um, it was on a website. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. I want to say it was something along the lines of like bitch reviews or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, it was basically, it's basically like a female led movie review website. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was a guest writer and she wrote this article and a quote that really stood out to me is she said to describe pretty woman as anti-feminist or to fail to celebrate its feminism is to prioritize the sexist surfaces of whores and white knights over real issues of agency, desire, and consent. Um, and to me that, that really encapsulates why I consider this movie to be feminist and my point about, um, we're playing by Vivian's rules the entire movie. And Mm -hmm. you even see that at the very beginning of the movie with her and Kit, they say, they say when, they say who, they say how much. Mm -hmm. That's the rule that they stand by. They don't like pimp themselves out because they say who, they say when, they say how much. That is the most important part of the movie. And that's the rule that Vivian plays by the entire time. Right. She says who, she says when, she says how much. Mm-hmm. And she is the one in charge for most of the movie. And there are so many moments in during sex scenes where you can see that she is the one who's initiating it. He's the one paying her, mm-hmm. but she is the one saying when. She is the one deciding when she's okay doing things. And he's respecting that. And there's also the scene... Um, 
uh, towards the end of the movie where Stucky uh, comes into the into the room and surprises her and um, throws himself on her and she is like screaming and fighting him and like scratching at him and like doing her best to get away and um, something that she talked about in this article is that um, often when we see uh, scenes like that where a woman is being sexually assaulted it's not about her necessarily Mm -hmm. it's about the guy who is doing it like the scene is showing him and the way that his desires and the way that they show this scene is she is the one who is central to this scene she is the Mm -hmm. one who is being attacked she is the most important person in this scene what he is doing is evil and it's shown to be absolutely despicable and he is fired for it Um, And that is one of the only examples of sexual assault in the media that I can think of where somebody actually faces repercussions for their actions. And Edward is, throughout the whole movie, very respectful of her, and he's very respectful of her boundaries. And while he does, like, push boundaries occasionally, and he does... um, like, tell Stucky, like, what her profession is when she's, like, not really comfortable with him telling people what she's doing. He he does it for a reason, and he does apologize, and Stucky is the villain. Like, he's the mm-hmm. bad guy. He is the one who is pushing the boundaries more than Edward is. He is the one who is being disrespectful of her. He is the one who is um, treating her like a whore, and Edward, throughout the entire movie, does not do any of those no, things. Like a person who he, he has a relationship with. Yeah, he treats her like a person and he respects her. And so to me, it's very important to keep in mind that while this is a movie about somebody being rescued by a man, she rescues him right back. She mm-hmm. is the one in charge throughout the movie. And I don't know necessarily that that would have been the same way if it wasn't Julia Roberts playing this role, because I think that she takes a very dominant position in this movie and she asserts herself very well yeah i think that this it's just it's a it's a character that's very easy to get very messy especially if you have preconceived um biases against people who work in sex work yes um and i don't even want to comment on the sex work part of it because i don't have the knowledge or the background to talk about something like that but i do think that um while she may not necessarily be a great representation of a sex worker, I think she is a really great representation of a woman who is in a position where she is not the dominant one, but she makes herself to be the dominant one. Yeah, She manipulates herself into a position of power. And I really, really, really enjoy seeing that kind of representation. And while that may not necessarily be considered feminist in today's standards, while that may not necessarily be considered a great representation of a a woman being in power. It's a really great representation of how women in a time where they were not powerful, powerful or in a role where they were not powerful used their themselves and their, um, their skills to their advantage to put themselves into a position of power. And that's one of the things that I love about this movie. Yeah. Well, I think that's where we should end it. I think I, that's really smart. I think that's, that's in a conclusion. Good. Julia Roberts is mommy. Julia Vivian Roberts is Ward mommy. Is the boss, and Pretty yeah. Woman is nuanced, and we love it. Pretty Woman, we love a nuanced queen. <laughs> Woohoo! Holy shit!